Equine health is our business, horses and education are our passion. Welcome to the EquiConnect podcast. Here, we will have case-based conversation and talk about interesting news and information with the goal of sharing knowledge, focusing on equine health. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the EquiConnect Equine Podcast, brought to you by McKee Pound Equine Services. I am Dr. Kyle Goldie. And I'm Karen Fell. And today we have a special guest, Dr. Jim Welsh. Probably the most special. <sighs> Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> Excited to be here. Both of those things night. are a lot. <laughs> Yeah, good. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Great to have you. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Karen. So today, Jim, we've brought you on to talk about... uh, Politics. (laughs) I can only assume. (laughs) Exactly. Today, we brought you on to talk about something that has been in the the zeitgeist, good word, uh, lately, embryo transfer. It's something that, uh, well, recently there was a new rule change for uh, racing quarter horses in the province that are going to allow multiple offspring from a single year to be registered as Ontario bred, um, which is good because foals from those mares become eligible for certain classes of racing. So it's uh, it's very beneficial for the industry and everything. Yeah. I guess what we really wanted to talk about today was a, a few things. What's embryo transfer all about? And who is it for? Absolutely, yeah. Well, very exciting that they uh, kind of changed that rule. And where I did most of my training was down in Weatherford, Texas, or at least where I got started. And there, it's huge cutting horse uh, population. And they've been doing that now for years, getting multiple offspring. I think you can have five out of that in there. Fact check that, Jamie. I mean, Karen. <laughs> yes, it's quite a booming population of of uh embryo transfer work down there and uh dr leah arnold is who uh trained me down there and uh they have a population of about 400 recipients so just oh, wow. yeah different world just it's different. a lot of horses yeah yeah it's crazy yeah. i can't even imagine that many horses on one farm it's oh, it's yeah. wild and yeah. they're checking them every other day so they're checking anywhere from 150 to 200 in the morning like just as wow. smooth as as oil, yeah, yeah just yeah. going there. Yeah, that's incredible. So you got some training recently. I think it was. It would have been the f- winter of 2019. Gotcha. And so this was your first full year yeah. uh, of doing it. Yep. I got to say, you've done a great job. We were crushing it. <laughs> I honestly, I think the big takeaway I have from it is it's really not that big a deal. No, it's you know I think the first couple of clients we had, they're like, so what is this going to cost? Like. 15 grand give or take and and it's it's not i think there's like this it sounds complicated and it you know the coordination of it all but it's more just having a good plan and then executing it and it's not as complicated as you want like i'm doing it so it can't be too bad yeah well absolutely absolutely yeah yeah no that makes that makes good sense (laughs) you know me yeah 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 success does not come easily yeah that's right (laughs) No, I'm teasing. But uh, I agree from a budgetary point of view. I don't think it really works out to be that much different than breeding one mare with frozen semen, for example. No. It's all within that same sort of budget. The reality is it's the exact same. You know, we'll get into more of the details of it, but it's the exact same as breeding. And there's just one extra step on day eight. Right. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it seems like you've got the system nailed. Basically, the experiences I've had with you doing it have been, if you can find an embryo, they're pregnant. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's been pretty good. Yeah, it's yeah, been good. Good for and you. I was just going to ask, so could you do like a basic just what is embryo transfer? Yeah. So it's basically the same as breeding any other horse. The only difference is on day eight is when we're going to take that embryo out. But we might follow them or we will follow them a little bit closer. The big thing is getting your recipient and uh, your donor mare uh, synced up. So your donor mare is, you know, what we've did a lot this year was more the donors seem to be horses of great genetics, but were a little bit older or have trouble carrying a full long term. And so they don't have necessarily any trouble getting pregnant, but they have trouble keeping them. And then your recipient realistically can be of any genetic quality. But I'd say the biggest thing is it still needs to be reproductively sound. So we still want a younger horse or at least a proven horse. And we want them to be obviously healthy, both reproductively and overall. You know, the way I was always told is your recipient mare should be your gimme. You should be able to cross all your T's and dot all your I's on the recipient. So it needs to be, you know, not skinny, not lame, not a thousand years old. The other factor I really found was very predictable cycle. Yes. You know, the, the yeah. good ones are exactly the same every single time. Yeah. You know, yeah. they respond to the hot shot predictably yeah. like three, four days after they've got a 35 millimeter yeah. follicle because as you say, that's supposed to be the easy part of the situation. You're doing the embryo transfer from potentially the difficult mare. Yeah. Don't complicate things by by using an equally difficult mare as the recipient. Yeah. There's no reason because there's just too many other horses out there that can take it. And we don't have a huge recipient population. Like we don't have a recipient herd that if that one's not working, we don't have a hundred others. There's only been a couple of times where I've had two to pick from, which I thought was like shooting, you know, fish in a barrel. It just seemed a lot easier with having two, but most times we only have one. Mm -hmm. That makes a big difference. So you got to make sure that that one is, is again, your gimme. We don't need her like stalling. We don't need her with treating uterine infections. We don't need her not responding to meds we give her. She should just be like steady Eddie. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned like the situations where you potentially have multiple potential recipients. And uh, there was one one situation where we bred a mare twice. Yep. Both times we had three possible recipients. Both times it was the same mare that turned out to be yeah. the best recipient. Uh, like a, a good recipient is is very, very valuable. Hold on her. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Because yeah. the, the other two in that situation just unreliable. You yeah. know, they, they're, they're only complicating the, the process. And like I say, there's going to be enough little hiccups that you don't need to have an embryo that's perfect and be putting it into a mare that isn't got, you know, good cervical tone or has some sort of neurotic behavior she's pacing and you know high stress or or whatnot or she's crippled up because of navicular or something like that you, you just need like a solid quiet horse you know young yeah 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 ideally anything over 12 that's never been bred as not a good recipient sure you know your pregnancy rates or ability to maintain pregnancy drop off at that 12 year mark pretty dramatically every year after that so you want less than 12 or if it's going to be over 12 it needs to be for sure a proven mare but i'd still say like you're investing enough time energy and and money that 
don't get an 18 year old recipient. I don't care how many full she said. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. Now we've talked a lot about recipients. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked much about donors. Yeah. So, and I think one thing that's really, really important is for people to see what an advantage embryo transfer can be to their overall program. Right. So a good example was uh, just yesterday I was working with a young, younger race mare. I think she's probably five or something like that. And a, truly exceptional racehorse Mm -hmm. and you're just like oh man like if there's a horse that could use an embryo transfer it's this one yeah right and the whole point is this mare can continue racing yep not miss a beat right and start and not literally have a life-threatening event happen in the next year exactly not only do you avoid the possibility of because we've all experienced it firsthand that foaling is dangerous yeah right for both mare and foal anybody who's been been uh, breeding for any length of time has a tragic story about uh, a foaling that didn't go well and and lost mare foal or both right oh yeah so there's always that uh, possibility but i think the biggest advantage is you've got this high performing mare that doesn't have to take any time off and number one can start passing her genetics on yep number two can start generating more income yeah uh, for you from a business mm-hmm. perspective Double right? dipping. absolutely absolutely yeah. and even better you can do it multiple times a season yeah yeah right you know if you can get her on a good program Pick and everything like, like that yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely if you can get her on a good program there's no reason why you couldn't get multiple embryos out of a mare in a single season oh absolutely like if you've got the recipients really there's nothing besides her competition timeline but other than that you can go pretty fast through a season. And if you're getting embryos, they just kind of get in a rhythm. And So Jim, we, uh, we, we've talked about how a good candidate for embryo transfer as a donor would be a high-performing, healthy horse. Yep. Uh, who are some other good candidates? Well, you know, one that pops to my mind that we did this year was a mare that uh, for the last two, maybe three years has had, actually it's been three years, she's had placentitis at the end of each cycle about like 290, 300 days. And uh, we've been lucky. We got the full each time, but uh, definitely number one, it likely costs more to do that, like to try to treat that mare for that last, you know, 40 days, 30 days. But uh, so we took that mare. She has no problem ever getting pregnant. She's not that old and, and she is healthy. She has something wrong there at the, the end of the pregnancy, cervical tone and whatnot. And so we, we took one from her and uh, put it into another younger mare. And that way we don't have to necessarily worry about her. She had some other things we just had to take care of in the off season as well. You know, that was like a great candidate because, you know, we're going to get the full without all of that hassle mm-hmm. and stress because we're all just waiting around like 290 for the mare to start dripping milk or something like that it seems like each year so she was a perfect one as well because again we have no trouble getting her pregnant you just kind of look at her and somehow she is pregnant but you know those where those that have health issues are are good ones as well you know and it doesn't have to be overall health issues but it, just reproductively you know we had another mare she's 20 years old and uh, we wanted to get an embryo from, but she has an incredible number of cysts and uh, her uterine biopsy just shows a ton of scar tissue and stuff like that. So she was losing the foal uh, during the implanting stage all the time. So the nice thing about the embryo transfer is you're taking them out, you know, just about a day and a half to two days after they enter the uterus. So they're hardly in that uterine environment for very long. You can take them out before they implant and, uh, 
you don't lose that pregnancy at all. And she was predictable, so it was nice. You could easily sink her up. But just on a mare like that where there's no way she's going to be able to carry it. I think they gave her like less than 20% chance to carry the full to uh, full term. So we don't even have to take that chance. The embryo is 100% healthy at that day eight. So we just take it out and nobody's none the wiser. Sure. So we've talked about mares that are a good candidate. So just to review, we've got uh, high performance mares who we'd like to get bred for economic reasons and genetic reasons, but uh, don't want to uh, take them out of their performance schedule, whether it's racing or showing or uh, whatever. And we've also talked about mares that have some reproductive challenges, um, often with the uterine environment, but who are otherwise healthy. Um, So who are some uh, potential mares that just aren't really great candidates? There's still the mares that just have trouble getting pregnant. And it's not that you necessarily can't get them pregnant, but, you know, guys that are chronically infected or have other issues you know, maybe uncontrolled Cushing's, that's really just going to lower your pregnancy rates. Like you can still try on those guys, but like you need to get things under control first. So it's not like you're just easily getting them pregnant. You you still have to have horses that can get pregnant. You know, you can't do an embryo transfer if you can't get an embryo. And so that's really important just to still have that understanding that it doesn't increase your pregnancy rates. The embryo transfer doesn't increase your pregnancy rates. You still have to be able to get them pregnant. If you have a mare that's just absolutely crippled, pain is a big reason they don't get pregnant. So if you haven't got that under control, you're unlikely to get them pregnant in general. So, you know, managing expectations that, you know, I had a couple where people were like, well, we'll just get an embryo or whatever. Well, you haven't got a pregnant at all in like three years. So we, we got to figure that out first. And so that's been the big thing is that embryo transfer doesn't increase pregnancy rates. You still have to really focus in on them. So it's not magic. <laughs> not no not yet okay okay all right this I, isn't phil dumphy's show yeah. all right that that's where i was that's yeah. where i was confused okay yeah all yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah but the the big thing too is we've had a couple people talk about you know this mare has a lot of maybe behavioral issues and so we're they're thinking that if we bred that horse and took the embryo then the foal wouldn't learn from that mare i think there's still some genetic you know like type influences. So I still have kind of made sure that people are being aware of that, that you're you're not going to change the genetic makeup of that foal. There's likely some behavior that is obviously going to be learned versus just born with, but you have to be still aware of that. And again, just managing expectations that there's a lot of smoke and mirrors, but that's not one of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, That is another good point about um, about who's actually uh, carrying this full. The recipients should ha- be very well-mannered. Yes, yeah, right? absolutely. We don't want to select a recipient because, oh, well, we can't ride her, so we may as well make her carry a full or something. We want a horse that we can work with yeah, and is going to yeah. raise a nice foal and yeah. everything like that. Yeah. And if you've ever had a mare that's uh, just kicking at its foal all the time on the first day. Of Terrible. After, yeah. Terrible. Just the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Plus, you got to stand behind those mares all the time. Yeah. That's what I was them. thinking. It's like, yeah. oh, think of all the sedation and stuff that you have to yeah. give it just to stand behind it. Oh, yeah. Like realistically, that gets expensive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you have to yeah. sedate mares every time before you have to check them. Karen, you had a, a question about how this whole system works. Yeah, I just uh, was wondering if you just break it down as to what embryo transfer is. I don't want to reveal too many of my tricks, but we'll, just we'll a keep basic. it generic. Okay, okay. Yeah, nobody nobody look at my notes over here. 
Uh, it really is your normal progression for breeding a mare. And then we have an, an extra step in there. But we do follow them a little bit more because we need to know exactly when that donor mare. And so when I say donor mare, that's your, your mare that we're taking the embryo out of. And then your recipient is the one that we're putting the uh, embryo into and that will carry the foal for the, uh, the pregnancy. So what we'll do is we usually will start with a basic exam, make sure everybody's healthy. If there's anything that suggests that we need to take like a uterine swab or cytology to make sure everything's healthy. And again, the recipient should be your guaranteed. There should be no problems there. So we don't really want to be dealing with infections on a recipient if there's other options out there. So we'll swab them, make sure we're all good on that front. And then depending on where they're on their cycle, let's assume that both of them are not in heat. We'll short cycle them two days apart. Again, it'll depend on the size of the follicles that they have there, kind of sitting in the wings, but uh, we'll short cycle them about two days apart. We want the recipient to be ideally two days after the donor. So they can, it can still be successful if they're a day ahead to up to three days after, but ideally the recipient should be ovulating two days after the donor does. So we'll short cycle the donor first, then two days later we'll do the recipient. And then once we have the donor in heat, you know, we're calling for semen, we get a bread, we'll check that she ovulates. And then what I've been doing is, you know, once we confirm ovulation on the donor mare, then we'll give something to the recipient mare to ovulate. And that'll typically make ovulation happen around 36 to 48 hours after. Once we've confirmed that she's ovulated, eight days after the donor mare ovulated, we'll come to do our flush. I've had better success doing it at eight days just for myself because I can see the embryo in the filter. It's just a little bit easier. When it's like seven and a half days, it's just a little bit harder to find, a little bit more labor intensive, I find. And so we'll do that at eight days. And so basically the actual flush part is not much different than any other uterine flush. So we'll sedate the donor mare. Uh, we'll get her cleaned up behind. We put in a catheter into the uterus and we'll run at times anywhere from two to four liters of a specific flush. Basically you, you want to use a, in contrast with people are like, well, just use saline. Well, uh, or LRS, which is a, a, a fluid bag that we run in IV. But you want to use, uh, there's a complete flush that is used for embryo transfers because those little guys are so sticky that if you run them through just a normal LRS or saline type solution, they come out all tart and feathered because there's debris in the in the tube that you can never really get out and whatnot. And then there's a bit of a belief in reports that they'll even stick to the inside of your tube. So even if the mare is pregnant, now you've got that embryo stuck to the inside of the tube, you'll just think that she's not pregnant, but it actually was. And so this kind of keeps them a little bit slippery, let's say, and they'll come out way cleaner. They'll, they won't have anything on them. When you look at them under the microscope, they're just like these perfect spheres that... Uh, um, don't have anything on them. So that makes a big difference. So we'll literally flush it through uh, into the uterus. So we distend the uterus. So in contrast to normally when people would see a mare flush, they're in heat. So at this time, it's eight days after they ovulate. So they're not in heat. So um, there's a lot of tone to that uterus. And so we'll fill it up with anywhere from two to four liters, depending on the size of the mare. And then we go in rectally and we basically massage the uterus and try to get that embryo that's on the 
on the floor of the uterus to come up and hit that siphon and come out through the tubing. And then we have a specific uh, filter that we use and we filter all that fluid through there. And then we capture this, this embryo in this little uh, 60 to, uh, it's likely 100 mil uh, filter. And usually uh, we can see it uh, or I believe one time Karen could feel it coming through the tube. Uh, Fact, that happened. Yeah, it was likely <laughs> the worst call in history. But Oh, uh, I, I felt it. Yeah, she's I, I like, felt it. I think there I it just felt it. I was like, well, that's impossible. But was then... the whole fetus? Then uh, it was there. The, the problem was she actually... It's a, terrible when Karen's right. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. terrible. And it, it just, was there. It rocks the whole process. Yeah. And that was the only... <laughs> it was embarrassing. I felt... Uh, yeah, I, I felt pretty bad about myself. Uh, of course, we're joking because the embryo is probably what size at oh, this point? Oh, I forget. You know, you're getting outside of my pay grade there. But I think you're looking at at most two two millimeters. You can see it with the human eye at eight days. What it looks like is it, you kind of have to let it settle, but it just looks like a bubble that's swirling in there. And so it, it's quite small, but I like the eight day one because then I know when I can stop my flush because I can see it. When it's seven and a half days, you're not going to see it with the human eye. So you're you're going to have to go until you're confident that it's not there because it's kind of like absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. So I kind of like it when I can see it so that I can stop quicker. But yeah. uh, once we get it out, then uh, we'll, what we do is wash it. And basically we have these little wells. So we literally take it underneath the microscope and we keep putting it in and out of four different wells to wash it. So even though it comes out really clean, it looks clean, we want to get it even cleaner before we transfer it. So we want to get off of any kind of organic debris that might be stuck there or anything that would give the recipient a reason to reject the embryo. So we get we get pretty anal about that, but then we put it into a small 0.25 pipette, and then we're going to use that to transfer it to the other mare. So the toughest thing is getting that prepared so that it's as sterile as possible. So even with a small amount of bacteria, it just gives that mare a reason to get rid of it. So that's really important. So now that we're done with the donor, she's done her part, we have the embryo out. We now turn our attention to the recipient. And so we do the same thing. We give her a little sedation, we wrap her up and we clean her behind and then it looks very similar to as if you were breeding frozen uh, and even to a certain degree the uh, fresh where we put a long pipette in there and then we have this kind of gun plunger system that's going to push that fluid into the recipient so uh, and then that's it it looks less um, exciting than I think what people maybe hope for at times because you don't get to see a lot but the you know post post care for them there's definitely some variation in what people will do what we were doing this year that seemed to work well is we would put them on a week of sulfa uh the recipients just to help with any micro amount of bacteria that might be there it's got good penetration uh reproductively there and then we'll put them on regimate uh, which is a progesterone um, to help them as well and we could do a couple days of banamine just again to Basically, we're just crossing T's, dotting I's. I know lots of people will can pretty much do it with none of that stuff. Usually, everybody will do regimate, but I think you know the banamine and the sulfa is one of the cheapest two things that we're using throughout the day. The donor mare, 
Uh, depending on how much fluid we got out, if we don't feel confident, we got all the fluid out of her because, again, she's not in heat, so that cervix isn't open. We'll short cycle that mare just to pull out so she opens up her cervix, and then we'll give her a couple of days of oxytocin just to clean her out and keep her happy that way. You know, kind of going back to your part, if you're looking to get a lot of embryos in a short period of time, that donor mare, if you have another recipient right ready, she's getting short cycled the day of her embryo transfer so in two days you would sync up another recipient and you just keep doing the process and every eight days you know you're kind of going that way you know i'd say we're there for maybe an hour and a half to two hours on that eight day flush yeah, day kind of yeah, thing yeah 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 and then you can check as early as 14 days or, or six days after that embryo is pulled out uh your normal 14 day pregnancy and uh once you got it in there, you're good to go. And, you know, it's not that they couldn't lose the fold, but they're not going to lose it from the flush part. They're, right. they're yeah. just, if they're going to lose it, it's going to be in that first, like, 48 to 72 hours. Absolutely. So just to summarize, because uh, I know I've, we've been in the situation where we've explained to clients how the process works, yeah. and it gets a little confusing to, to people. So just to summarize, basically what we're doing is we've got two mares that are two days apart in yep. terms of where they're at in their cycle. The donor mare is bred. Once she ovulates, we give the ovulatory agent to the recipient. Yep. So she stays two days behind. On day eight, after ovulation, we take an embryo from the donor and put it in. So that's an eight-day mare. Uh, we put that in a six-day mm -hmm. recipient. Oh, I hope that makes sense to everybody because I know we've been through that many, many times. It's an embryo that's going from an eight-day mare into a approximately six-day recipient. Yep. And by six-day, we mean six days after ovulation. Yep, yep. Just to tighten it up. Crystal because clear. It can be very confusing because it even, I know it's it can be confusing for clients sometimes even without that extra mm -hmm. step, so. It's hard to visualize the, absolutely, absolutely. the calendar. In your oh, mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just remember there, there are two mares that are two days apart is, ba is basically it. And that the donor is ahead. Yep. Yeah. Cool. I just had a, a question actually, because now I'm, I'm thinking about this. For the 14-day check, is that mm -hmm. the embryo is 14 days? Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be a 14-day embryo in a 12-day mare. Gotcha. I never yeah. thought about that until you guys are talking about it right now. And even better. Uh, Wait on me. <laughs> is your preg check in your recipient is only six days after yeah, uh, yeah. after so there's none you're of this wait. none of this waiting no. 14 days or anything we don't like have that. to wait to christmas you, yeah you you literally find out if your embryo transfer was successful six days after the procedure it's kind of cool yeah yeah it's kind of nice to get that as close to instant gratification as you as you can yeah. like that you don't have to worry about it and you're like oh geez are we wasting time or anything like that you can quickly get back into the cycle if if not you know and like i say it the donor is getting most likely short cycled at the day of that embryo transfer so if you have two recipients you know you can breed again that following week you know and then so it's almost like every other week you breed her and every other week you transfer it and uh 
it doesn't take long to get three or four embryos when you're that's incredible yeah, I, yeah. i'd love to i'd love to see that happen that would be that would be pretty cool like if we could get the right number of recipients and and all all parties are willing yeah yeah be pretty cool you really iron out the kinks right mm-hmm. like you're gonna know that donor pretty much as best you can by that third cycle oh yeah you know like yeah. you you borderline can just uh hand her the the drugs and she'll take care of it. If she had opposable thumbs, I wouldn't even need to be there. (laughs) What's your experience been with like basically weekly short cycling and and its effect on mares and their cyclicity? I've seen some that it doesn't seem to matter at all and others, boy, they get all messed up. It's frustrating, which it's kind of nice that it would be um, every other week, which is kind of nice. And I try not to do it much more than that. Yeah. Yeah, I had some that just all of a sudden it now they're coming into heat like eight days later. It seems like forever to get those embryo or those follicles to start growing again. But yeah, then you do the other ones and you're just like they're putting up forties. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I think you just know the the horse and I, you know, there's a couple that I definitely wouldn't do that with because uh happened to a guy I know who tried it and it didn't go so well. So <laughs> the uh <laughs> there's there's nothing more lonely feeling than giving hot shots and the mare just so slowly responding. Like it, it yeah, will drive a man nuts yeah, for sure. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. how quick, just in terms of our listeners, like how quick does it normally kick they in? They should be in heat on average uh three three to four days after the hot shot. Again, it depends if you hot shot a mare that has a 28, uh, like a 20 millimeter follicle already sitting there, then those are going to grow at about three millimeters a day. So once you give them the hot shot, it gets rid of the CL, which is the progesterone producing structure. They will start growing that follicle at three millimeters a day. And we're trying to get them to ovulate once they get over at least a 35 with good edema. So a lot of times that ends up being more like 40 with real good edema. But if you have one that already has a 40 sitting there, it's going to be in heat pretty fast. So those ones I'll shorten up my time and assume that they're going to be kind of getting ready by day two and then be prepared. I absolutely hate them when they have 50s and then you're like, let's just breed them today while we hot shot them. You know, like I I hate those ones. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll just let them get smaller. Like they will regress. So I'll, I'll wait on those. But if you can get like a 27 to just below 30, man, it's perfect. You're Michael Jordan out there just hitting the basket from everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing but net. Nothing but net. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just thought of another good point. And that is, let's not forget that horses are long day breeders. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So what that means is, Horses want to be bred in the spring. So if you're considering embryo transfer or just breeding your mare in general, you really should be aiming to get those mares bred before July 1st. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's generally the the date that the, the racing industry uses, a lot of the stud, stud farms uh, use. And that's partly to do with the fact that they want birthdays as close to January 1st as, as possible. That's That's a big part of it. But I think another part of it is the mares are so predictable in the mm-hmm. spring. They're mm-hmm. so fertile and and everything like that in those in those first few months of the year, like that through the spring, like May, June. Oh yeah, it's 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 easy. You start getting into August, September, that type of thing. The the process, it, 
loses its predictability to some extent. And that's a big part of breeding success is being able to predict what's going to happen two days from now yeah. or, or, or whatever, because um, so much of, of these, uh, these breeding programs is contingent on uh, it's all about timing. Mm-hmm. It's all about timing. So trying to get mares bred uh, earlier in the, in the year really makes a lot of sense. I know, People say, well, you know, but I don't want a foal that's born in the winter and stuff like that. And I, I get that, but find a compromise. You know what I mean? Uh, try to get them bred in the spring and make those plans now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you have a mare that you're planning on breeding next spring, particularly early in the spring, we can help you with this, but she should be under light 16 hours a day starting December 1st. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's uh, October 9th now. Uh, that's coming up soon. Yeah. So uh, if you have breeding plans for next spring, start thinking ahead. Well, yeah. And like, it is like frustrating, I think, on everybody's part when you haven't even picked a stallion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. It really exactly. lowers the chances of pregnancy yeah. if you don't have a stallion. Yeah. 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 Well, and sometimes, yeah, and I get it. Like sometimes people make like a spontaneous decision because, oh, oh, now my, now my mare is, uh, just got a suspensory injury or something like yeah. that. Needs, yeah. needs a year off. Uh, let's, let's get her bred. You're like, okay, we need semen. Oh my goodness. I don't even have a contract signed yet or anything like that. And you're like, well, you know, yeah. they're, they're ready. Like, it's a yeah. natural process. You know what I mean? Yeah. When they're ready, they're ready. And you, you hate to miss an opportunity. Oh, I know. Yeah. yeah. Like if, if a mare needs semen, you want to, you want to have semen for her. You know what I mean? It seems like when you miss the perfect cycle that you just never get it back. Nothing's never ever again. Never, never. It's never as good. good. No. Yeah. 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 You just, like... you're telling your grandkids that story. <laughs> Yeah, and there she was with a 50 millimeter follicle and three plus edema. Yeah. It's the prettiest cycle I'd ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) We decided to wait. It just didn't feel right. right. (laughs) Never get that day back. (laughs) I would say for embryo transfers, especially, it's very unforgiving because you're trying to get everything synced up. So the majority of it is just talking about it, like getting a plan, like when's the stallion being collected? making sure that, you know, people have lives so they might, you know, maybe that mare is competing, racing, whatever she's doing. So we need to know like her schedule. We need to know, okay, uh, like I've had to go sometimes to Palgrave to check the donor mare, like last year or a couple of years ago, check the donor mare, but then come back to the home farm, you know, and that's all fine. We need to know, like put a GPS uh, tracker on these things or something because sure. they might not be, but they need to be checked specifically that day. 24 hours is basically, it can ruin the whole process, which again, it's not a life and death situation, but if you're trying to be successful, it, it's it's a lot of sit down right on a calendar and decide when you're going to do it. And because I, I specifically won't remember the competition schedule, you know, no. for that horse specifically, no. you just got to tell me. And then there, you know, if there's a two week window, perfect, let's get after it then. Mm-hmm. So that really makes a big difference. But yeah, you just got to like sit down and like hammer out a schedule a little bit. And then knowing that they'll likely the, the mayors will not listen to it, but, um, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and, and then, doing it ahead of time because yeah. there, there, there can be other factors, right? Import permits, yeah. import permits. You don't get those overnight. Yeah. They take the death. They can me. take a yeah. cu- couple weeks kind of thing and stuff like that. But another one, like sometimes it's really, really simple. And it's just, it really, you know, you touched on it there. It's really about communication. One of the hardest, most difficult answers I can try to get from somebody is, when do I have to order semen to get it at what time? Yeah. I'm not being 
fussy or something like that. I need to know, do they need to know by eight o'clock in the morning? Yeah. Do they need to know by eight o'clock in the morning the day before? You know what I mean? Everybody has their own lives, their own schedules, their own regulatory issues uh, sometimes and stuff like that. So yeah, when we're just talking about breeding in general, we need to know when do I have to order semen to get semen on a particular day? How excited do you get when someone's like, I'm just using a local stallion? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> can collect any day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Moment's notice. Yeah, I can I can be there in an hour and a half. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but uh, and I've, I've touched on this before. That's one of the things I love about frozen semen. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Because you're never... You're never waiting for semen. You're eliminating one of the bottlenecks. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You're never waiting for semen. You, if you're planning on breeding a mare with frozen semen, uh, you know, in March of 2021, uh, you could have that semen now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just sitting in a tank, ready, and when that mare's ready, boom. Yeah. You got semen. I think that's why a lot of people do like doing that for the embryo transfer for that exact thing. Like you never, you don't have to sync up the donor to the stallion schedule and then sync up the recipient to the donor who is now synced up to the stallion schedule. Right. So it's one less sync, but there's lower pregnancy rates with frozen. So like that sometimes, you know, yeah. It, you yeah. Know, pros For and cons. Sure. Yeah. For sure. You know, and it probably does speak to the fact that there are uh, practical and economic advantages to breeding to a canadian stallion oh yeah you yeah. know what i mean don't don't be, there's lots of good stallions in in this country you know some of the best stallions in the world are in canada and people have spent a fortune to get those genetics here or bring those genetics to the forefront and everything like that so yeah don't overlook it because in many cases i i would I would venture to say that your pregnancy rates are going to go up oh, yeah. because logistically it can be that much simpler. Like if somebody tells me, um, oh yeah, no, great stallion. He's just in, uh, just in British Columbia. Uh, we order it one day. It's, it's here the next morning. Yeah. Oh, perfect. You know what I mean? It, it's a much less lower stress, uh, uh, situation than if somebody says, well, the stallion, he's got kind of a funny schedule. He's in Texas. Um, but I think he's in Oklahoma this week and you're just like, and each oh, state my, changes, oh, especially if you, yeah, your yeah, import yeah. permit changes. Yeah. yeah. Well, because, yeah. um, they have issues, uh, down in the, in the, the States. Vesicular stomatitis. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, but, um, the USDA offices. Oh, you know what I getting mean? So, to them. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's not like in, in Ontario, we're, we're quite blessed. I didn't realize it, but we're quite blessed with um, how close our CFIA offices and stuff like that are. You know, in Southern Ontario, um, a CFIA office is a stone's throw away. Oh, I've, yeah. I've, I've dealt with um, breeders who are, you know, they're really in a bind because they need documents signed uh, to release semen. It's six hours away. Yeah. Crazy. You know, yeah, even crazy. if they did their very best for you, it's a 12 hour drive for them. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. So, you know, I, I, I do have to say that over the years, I've seen fewer and fewer people breeding fresh to American uh, yeah. sires just yeah. because of logistics. Uh, and the other problem is uh, getting across the border. Yeah. I think it always has to be remembered that the clock starts ticking the moment it, the sample leaves the stallion. Mm -hmm. And therefore that's cutting into your time that it is good in the mayor. We have a, a client, a friend, and she is really good friends with, with one of the um, stallion farms out in BC. And I absolutely love that because you're ahead of time. It's like you just, 
you yeah you just you're able to it is a little magic you're like oh yeah don't even have to call them yet they're not even awake you know yeah, like, well, I, you're, you're absolutely right <laughs> okay they gotta know by by eight o'clock in the morning shoot that means i have to get to the farm for like six because i got other farms to go to those are the days you sleep in it's three yeah. hours difference yeah, yeah we got this one sorted out let's go to mcdonald's for breakfast yeah no, <laughs> no big deal <laughs> yeah exactly so think about the logistics of, oh yeah uh, how are we going to get semen for this uh for this mare for sure and, you know, the other thing that's kind of come up during the embryo transfers is natural synchronization, which does not exist. We definitely have to manipulate the cycle. Like they're not, that, that you know, dorm effect does not exist really in the horses. And, and it has to be so close, as close as you can get it to two days. So, you know, we had people that were like, well, let's just let them naturally do it. There's not a lot of natural things going on in an embryo transfer. So I think we don't worry about that so much. Yeah, yeah you, you do have to accept the, the fact that drugs are going to have to be yeah, used. Yeah, um, yeah. Pardon me, I can understand. I definitely have, have seen the clients who have been, you know, a little bit disappointed with, with how their mare responds to certain drugs. Mm-hmm. And yes, there are situations when a natural, you know, let's just watch her until she comes into heat. Maybe they have a, a teaser on the farm. Yeah. Maybe they show, yep. show heat really well. No problem. But when you're starting to deal with embryo transfer, it, the timing's just too important. Yeah. And yeah. so many ex-show horses have either been trained or manipulated to not show heat. Right. Yeah. You know, so they're just uh, ghosts out there. You don't know when they're in heat. They could be ovulating and they wouldn't show you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. For sure. Karen? I'm glad you guys touched base about picking the stallion ahead of time just because in being at appointments where it's like, yeah, let's breed the mare and you get it all ready and like, okay, today's the day. Let's get the, you know, let's get the semen. We'll get this mare bred. And it's like, well, I haven't really thought of that part of it. And it, it is time consuming. You want to pick. Takes two to tango for sure. <laughs> when you want to pick something good, right? Like you don't want to have to make a last minute decision. I get it if I was breeding my horse, but but make sure you take the time to pick something in advance. Yeah. You know, what? it uh, kind of speaks to the, um, speaks to the ego or something like that a little bit. Like, we want your mare to get pregnant as badly as you do. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we're keeping score. There's nothing that'll ruin a day faster than, like, two or three preg checks that are all not pregnant. Right. Oh. You're just like, this is, this yeah. day's. Yeah. yeah, just like, oh, man, I, this kills me. Check me into the, the psych ward. For yeah. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, like, if you get, uh, if you get a, a day when you've got, you know, a, a few preg checks that, that go well, Oh, you're thrilled. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's a big thing. Like we want success for, for you. We, we see your success as our success. Yeah. It's, uh, it's good. So we have to work together. We have to communicate well. It's not a perfect science. We have to do everything we can to try to shift the odds in our favor. So use young fertile mares. Yeah. Use good stallions. You know, if yeah. Well, no, one thing I, you know, I forgot to bring up, but this year too with COVID, we got a little bold and we were just doing them on the farm. So we weren't right, right, right. Taking yeah. them to the uh, rehab facility because we we're trying to just watch like staff intermingling and stuff like that mm-hmm. during the, the pandemic and whatnot. So we were able to pretty successfully do that on the farm. And right. all the clients were amazing at just having, re- I just need a flat table. And, yeah. and flat's important. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, an area where there's as minimal amount of uh, traffic and, you know, a door that can be closed and the rooms kind of seal off so there's no breezes and stuff like that. But we we did 
well, obviously did well. We did, we did them all on the farm and seemed to keep the horses' stress levels lower too because they didn't have to be trailered anywhere. Keep the owner's stress level down too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, kept costs low. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Kept, yeah, kept costs low. And, you know, a lot of the recipients are not well-traveled horses. They're, they're you know, so, you know, we don't need them literally stressing out and freaking out and, you know, that's going to lower your pregnancy race that, that, or like at least that conception rate of keeping that embryo because yeah, stress is a big one. So, um, seemed to work out well that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I think we've had a great discussion here. We've learned a lot about, uh, embryo transfer. We've talked a little bit about breeding and, and just some, some tips. Again, if you're thinking about breeding a mare in the spring, um, you should start thinking about having that mare under light uh, 16 hours a day starting December 1st. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you have any further questions about that, you can discuss it with your veterinarian. It, it, and it just it just helps to get the, the whole system going a little bit better yeah. oh, uh, yeah. earlier in the season. On behalf of myself, thank you so much, Jim. Uh, oh, it's been, uh, been a pleasure having you and everything yeah. like that. And, and hopefully we can have you uh, on again. Unfortunately, you're not an expert in anything else. So uh, <laughs> chances just, are unlikely of that. So. Are, <laughs> just kidding. I'm really Jim into taught me everything ants. I know. I'm really into ant farms. <laughs> uh, so if that ever pops up on one of these podcasts, you give me a call. Um, yeah. yeah. No, no. Well, definitely. It'd be great to have you on again to talk about uh, all of your other many, uh, many skills or even just. I'll try to jokes. develop one in the in the near real, future. Real near future. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to uh, take a second here just to do a shout out. We have a Grooms Appreciation Award. Uh, we're doing it virtually this year. It's called Heroes for Horses. We have um, some platinum sponsors, which are Merck, Summit, Bowringer, and Equijet. And gold sponsors are Mullins Farrier, Brooks Feed, Kentucky Performance Products, and IDEX. And there's actually over $3,500 in prizes and prize money. So Amazing. That's yeah. very exciting. Thanks for sharing, Karen. Of course, yeah. 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 Can I participate? <laughs> yeah. No, Kyle that, starts grooming on the side. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Get that me sounds, my that wig. sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just need a fake mustache. Yeah, no, that's, you, that's you awesome. You could grow one, but I don't know. Yeah. Nah, mm. It's too gray. No, that's awesome. Uh, thanks. So uh, so we'll just stay tuned for more information. Yes. Yeah. It uh, Normally we uh, roll it out uh, in terms of we often do uh, at the shows, um, but this year we're doing it virtually and anyone can apply for, for it. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Where can people get more information? Yeah. Stay tuned on our, our uh, social media. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks so much, Jim. And um, yeah, thanks uh, to all our listeners. Um, Do I get my gift basket on the way out or? Your swag? Yeah. Where's my swag? Uh, I hope you like books. <laughs> yeah. From 1989. Yeah. Perfect. Cleaned out the. Retired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot to all of our listeners. We really, really appreciate it. Um, we hope you've liked the last couple of uh of webinar episodes. I think we probably have a couple more of those in the hopper that we will, um, that we'll air and yeah, we'll, we'll try to, we're always trying to come up with, uh, with new ideas. So if you have any, please don't hesitate to contact us. Karen, do you have anything else to add? Thanks so much for joining us. And again, share any ideas you have and uh, thanks for listening. All right. Have a great day, everybody. This podcast is not a substitute for regular and emergency veterinary care. Our purpose is to inform and educate horse people not to diagnose and treat medical conditions without a valid veterinary client-patient relationship.